Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. Right. Let me invite you to take your Bible and turn back to Luke's gospel. We are in Luke chapter 7 this morning. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17 is where we're going to spend our time this morning in God's Word. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. If you're a guest with us, if you're new to Northwood, what we like to do here is we like to take books of the Bible and just walk straight through them, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we find ourselves this morning on this Easter Sunday in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. And I think as we walk through this text, you're going to see why this text is really relevant uh, for Easter Sunday. This is a great passage of Scripture. I think it's going to bless you this morning. So go ahead and find that in your Bible, Luke 7, 11 through uh, 17. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is really easy to find. Just find the New Testament. If you'll find the New Testament, you'll find the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the third gospel. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's okay because in the seat before you down the book rack there at the bottom of the seat, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Luke chapter 7 with us. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible home with you, read it, and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. I, I was so overjoyed that we could celebrate baptism this morning. Uh, and I was even more overjoyed to think that while we were celebrating baptism here, our partnering church, Gethsemane Baptist, celebrated baptism again this morning. And so some of you know about Gethsemane. If you're new, uh, a year or so ago, we adopted a church out in Somerville that is just was struggling and was on the verge of closing their doors. But God, uh, through the people of Northwood and ministry teams that we've sent over there to help them, uh, God is breathing new life in that church. They had gone years, at least five years without baptizing anybody. And when we went back and looked at their records, we could count one baptism they had in over in 10 years, which is wild. And now within three Sundays, they've baptized five people. That is wild. And so we're, yes, absolutely right. So I'm very thankful on this Resurrection Sunday that God is breathing new life in that church. I could not be any more thrilled by what he is doing there at Gethsemane. And through people like you who are over there uh, sacrificing time and effort to help that church to live again. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17 is where we are this morning. Some of you know this because you know me and you've been around me. You've heard me talk about these things before. But, but back, back in the day, years and years ago, um, I, I tried to get my private pilot's license. I, I wanted to do that. It was like a lifelong dream. And so I, I trained to be a pilot for, for a number of months. I, 
I, I did my solo flights, my cross countries, all those kinds of things, and almost uh, finished my, my license, but, but I didn't get to finish it. Uh, uh, Hudson was born, and I just kind of figured that point with a newborn at home, probably best that I stay on the ground, all those kinds of things. Flying's an expensive hobby. It's a time-consuming hobby. And so I just kind of put it aside. Maybe someday I'll get to do it again. I have no idea, but I really did enjoy that time. But what I enjoy uh, after having some experience being a pilot, or at least an almost pilot, what I, what I do enjoy is reading stories about pilots and reading some of the, uh, the adventures they have in the air as far as, you know, the, the near misses and the emergencies and all those kinds of things. Those things are really fascinating to me. And I came across a story this week that maybe you came across. There was this uh, pilot in South Africa. His name was Erasmus. He, he's a commercial pilot, flies small planes. He, he flies a, a Bonanza Beechcraft, a plane I, I flew in several times when I was training. It's a really neat little plane. And and so, so he, he got some passengers in this plane. He had four passengers. He was taken from whatever country he was in in South Africa to another country. And, and so they got up in the air. And when they got up in the air uh, at cruising altitude, uh, he felt something kind of uh, uh, cool down his back. And so he thought that, that maybe uh, his water bottle was leaking and, and, and what have you. And so so at any rate, he keeps on flying. And when he looks down at his feet, he sees a snake. I know, Right in the cockpit right under his seat. But not only did he see a snake, it wasn't just any snake, it was a cobra. Can you imagine? Can I just tell you, if that was me piloting, that plane would go down fast. Uh, we and the other passengers, we'd have met Jesus real fast because that means we're just, we just, we just gonna put this thing to an end. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, but he didn't. I and mean, I watched this. He, he, he looked down. You can go back and read his story. He was in a couple of interviews afterwards. And he said that when he saw the cobra at his feet, obviously he was stunned and just kind of went, went, went numb for a few seconds. I'd have gone numb the rest of the flight, but that's another story. And, but, but then he was able to regain his composure. And he, he said to his passengers behind him, hey, just want you to know there's an uninvited guest in the cabin and, and, and they, and what a, a miracle of God's grace, like none of them went crazy. They all kept their composure. I mean, how do you keep your composure when you got a, a cobra in the plane? And have you been one of those planes? Those planes are small. Like they're, it's not like you can go to the back of the plane, like the back's in the front kind of thing. I mean, it's all right there together. And anyway, he radioed the tower and within 10 or 15 minutes, he was able to make a, a safe, non-eventful emergency landing. Can you imagine I would say that on that day, when he looked down and saw that cobra, he had an unwelcome interruption in his cockpit. Now, I tell you that to tell you, here we are on Easter Sunday. And 2,000 years ago, there was a funeral, a funeral for a man named Jesus. And on a Sunday morning, some women were going to the tomb, taking spices to put on his body. And on that Sunday morning, Jesus interrupted his own funeral. Isn't that wild? And I think here we are 2,000 years later, and you know what Jesus is still doing? Jesus is still interrupting funerals. Because funerals are a place for, for grief and death, and, and certainly that, that's the case. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, funerals are what? A celebration of an interruption. That the God of all creation stepped into this earth to bring life into places of death. And here we are this Easter Sunday morning and we're celebrating what Christ has done. And we talked about this last week just a bit because here we are in Luke's gospel and we have two stories uh, that, that, that have the subject of death in these stories. Death, 
And we talked about last Sunday that every one of us, if Christ tarries and does not return before we die, every one of us in this room, every one of us, we have an appointment with death. But Jesus wants to interrupt your funeral. And he wants to give you hope in that place of death. And so I, I think this passage this morning on this Easter Sunday is gonna be a blessing to you because I think this passage this morning is just gonna be a reminder for us, a reminder of three truths uh, that we continue to need to settle in our hearts about the gospel of Jesus Christ if we're going to see our funerals interrupted uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. So take your Bibles, look at Luke chapter seven, if you will, verses 11 through 17, and go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Luke chapter seven, beginning in verse 11. This is what the Bible says. Afterward, Jesus was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him just as he neared the gate of the town. A dead man, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin and the pallbearers stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for this beautiful Easter Sunday morning. Uh, that we are able to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. We believe it. It's not something we're making up. It's not a a make-believe story, a myth or a fable. No, we believe that 2,000 years ago in a real place called Jerusalem, in a real tomb, laid a real body, the body of our Lord. And we believe that he really did walk out of a grave victorious. And because of his resurrection, every one of us in this room who place our faith and trust in Jesus, we can look forward ourselves to resurrected life. What a glorious, miraculous reality. And so now, Father, as we study your word, I pray that, that um, you would open our eyes to your truth, that you would continue in these moments to give us hope, And you would help us to listen well to what you're saying to us this morning. So we might be a people who live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, if you were with us last week, we looked at the the first part of Luke chapter seven. Uh, This comes on the heels of the Sermon on the Plain that Jesus delivered to his disciples. And and we talked about a a very interesting story. And and if you were here, you heard this story. So I don't wanna retell the entire story to you, but I I do wanna bring you up to speed, especially if you weren't with us last week, that Jesus, he's in Capernaum. And and if you're a good Bible student, you know that Capernaum, uh, that was the home base of Jesus. During his three-year ministry, That's primarily where he lived and stayed and did lots of miracles and teachings there in Capernaum. And so there in Capernaum, there was a man, a very respected man, a centurion. We talked about last week that that in in those days, centurions and Jews, I mean, you would expect them to be enemies because because the Jews wanted the Romans out of their country. Uh, But this centurion, he had built a synagogue for the Jewish people. He was well respected by the Jews in that town. He was loved by them. And he had a servant who was on the verge of death. And you remember the story uh, that, that, that he sent for Jesus. Jesus, please come. 
And, and when Jesus comes to his, his home, the centurion doesn't even come out of his home. Instead, he sends some more servants out. And he says to tell Jesus something like this. Tell Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my home. And, and then he says, but just say the word. Jesus, if you say the word, then my servant will be healed. And Luke, the gospel writer tells us, do you remember? That Jesus was amazed by his faith. We talked last week about how there's nobody else in the gospels where it says that Jesus was amazed by their faith with the exception of this Roman centurion. And Jesus speaks the word. And this servant that was on the verge of death is healed. He doesn't even go into the home to touch him. He speaks from outside the house and the servant is healed. And Jesus says, no one in Israel, I've never seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. Now you have another story. And this story is very different than the story of Jesus healing the servant of the centurion at Capernaum. Really the only common denominator that these stories share is death. The first story in the first few verses of Luke chapter seven is the story of a servant on the verge of death. This story is the story of a young man who's dead. And the story takes place in a town called Nain. Now, Nain is very, very different than Capernaum. Nain is about 25 miles away from Capernaum. And I don't know if you know this or not, but if you look in your Bible and you read through it and you try to find the name of the town Nain, you won't find it anywhere else in your Bible, but in this particular passage. This is the only place in all of scripture where Nain is named. Nain would would have been a backwoods kind of town. We talked about how Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, was a backwoods kind of town. Nain is even more backwoods than Nazareth. There wouldn't have been a whole lot of people that lived in that town. In fact, it was probably the case that that many of those people never left the town of Nain. and, And many of them probably had never heard of Jesus, or at least had not heard much about him. And Jesus goes to Nain. Why would Jesus go to Nain? I mean, it's out of the way. And the only thing in Nain is a four-way stop sign and a dollar general. That's it. You follow? But Jesus, he goes to Nain. And not only does he go to Nain, a large crowd of his followers from Capernaum go with him. I think, I think that Jesus goes to Nain to meet with this woman. That he knows that there's a mother there who's just lost her child. And he goes there specifically to meet with this woman for this miracle that we just read about. Because here you have it. Jesus comes into Nain with a crowd of followers following him. And as he makes his way to the gates of the town, there's another crowd, a crowd coming out of Nain, carrying a dead body, the body of a young Man, now I don't know what you know about funerals in those days, but in those days, a funeral in an ancient town like Nain, funerals were a big deal. Now I know funerals today are a big deal as well, but literally in those days, if there was a funeral in town, you'd stop what you were doing and everybody would join the funeral procession and mourn with the family of the deceased. And and, and in those days, this is kind of how it worked. Even if you were poor, Even if you were in poverty, you would would get together as much money as you could to pay at least one or two people to mourn with you. You could actually get a job in those days as a professional crier. And everybody in, in those days, they hired professional criers for their funerals. And so here you have it. You have this, this crowd of people coming out of Nain, carrying a dead body. And what the text tells us is that this is the son, the only son of a widow. 
text doesn't give us all the details, but maybe it was. Maybe it was the case that just a few years earlier, her husband had died and all she had left was this son. And and I I imagine, we don't know how old this son was. Maybe he was a a teenager, early 20s. Maybe he was in his 30s. We just don't know. But I imagine that this this mom who had lost her husband, maybe just a few years prior, uh, that she depended on this son to take care of her, to help her. And now here it is. We don't know how he died, but he did. And she's left alone. The grief of a widow who's lost her only son. Here you are in this room, and, and I, I imagine that in this room, all of us at some point in our lives, we've been, we've been touched by death, that we've lost a loved one, a parent, even a spouse. Some of us in this room have lost children. I cannot think of a grief that is more severe than the grief of a parent that loses a child. That's not the way life's supposed to work. You're supposed to outlive, or your children are supposed to outlive you, not the other way around. Some of you know firsthand the pain of losing a child. And here you have this mother on this day in name who's lost her child, her only son. Imagine the grief, imagine the anger, imagine the despair. And then Jesus comes into town. Now, again, I don't know, but I'm just assuming here in Nain where there's nothing but a four-way stop sign and a dollar general, they don't really know much about Jesus. That it's likely she has not heard of the miracles of Jesus. That perhaps she has not heard of the teachings of Jesus. And I'm kind of convinced in my own mind that Jesus comes to Nain for this purpose so that this town and this woman in specific can know the power of God that is in him. So he comes to Nain His followers are with him. Look what the text says. You come down and and it says again in verse 12, he neared the gate uh, of the town. A dead man was being carried out. His mother's only son. It says verse 12, the end, a large crowd from the city was also with her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Now circle that word compassion because I know in in our minds, we understand this. We understand that Jesus is compassionate, but just just understand this. Several times throughout the gospels, we we read about the compassion of Jesus. For example, back in Mark's gospel, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, Mark tells us that Jesus looked out on the crowd and he had compassion because the people were like sheep without a shepherd. There was another story of someone being raised from the dead. Do you remember the story of Lazarus? In Lazarus, in, 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 in Luke's gospel, in, 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 excuse me, in John's gospel, in John chapter 11, Jesus goes to Bethany. And when he gets to Bethany, he sees Mary and Martha. And he sees that they're, they're overcome with grief and sorrow because they lost their brother Lazarus. And Jesus is so moved to compassion in John chapter 11 that you probably know it. The shortest verse in all of God's word, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus what? Jesus wept. Because Jesus knows. He knows this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I mean, you think about it. The way it's supposed to be is the way that it was in the garden of Eden before Adam and Eve fell into sin. Fellowship with God, life without death. That's the way it's supposed to be. But our sin messed all that up. And what Jesus sees when he encounters this woman in name or when he encounters Mary and Martha at the death of Lazarus, 
What he sees is he sees what sin does. Sin takes life. Sin destroys. And Jesus is moved with compassion because he knows it's not the way it's supposed to be. And he also knows that he's come to do something about it. Look at what it says. When he saw, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said in the verse 13, don't weep. Now, I don't know how many funerals you've been to in your life. Uh, I've been to quite a few, kind of my role as a pastor, um, you know, kind of requires that I go to a lot of funerals. And so I've been to a lot of funerals over the course of my life. And, and, and you know what I've never told a grieving spouse? You know what I've never told a grieving parent? You know, I've never told a grieving child. I've never looked at someone who's grieving and I've never said to them, don't weep. Do you know why I've never said that? Because it's insensitive. That's what you're supposed to do at a funeral. You're supposed to weep. Because death is hard. It's heartbreaking. I mean, you're supposed to cry when your spouse dies. You're supposed to cry when you lose a child. That's normal. I would say it's healthy, that if you don't cry, there's probably something wrong with you, right? That, that's what happens when someone we love is taken from us. It causes us to weep. Yet Jesus, he looks at this woman, he says, don't weep. I mean, it seems kind of insensitive, maybe even offensive, but he doesn't stop there. What the text says is that he tells the woman, don't weep. And then now watch, I don't think that this woman has ever met Jesus before. She doesn't know who he is. She sees the big crowd and there's a crowd that, that's with her. But then he does something else. He walks up to the open casket. There's a body there in plain sight for everybody to see. And everybody sees that the body is dead. And the Bible says that he touches the casket. He just walks up and, and touches the casket like it's no big deal. Now, in those days, to do such a thing was, was not good because in those days, there was a thing called ritual uncleanliness. And by touching the casket, Jesus put himself, right, in, in a place where he could be declared unclean because he was so close to that dead body. But he doesn't care. He's not offending here. He's not being insensitive. He's not being offensive when he says, don't weep. And he's not being offensive when he touches the casket because Jesus knows what he's about to do. Remember back earlier in Luke's gospel, we looked at the sermon on the plain and Jesus said what? Blessed are those who mourn because someday they will laugh. Jesus knows he's about to turn this funeral into a party. He's a nose that's about to go from grieving to laughing. He puts his hand on the casket and you see what he says. Young man, Get up, that's it. And I imagine that in that second, before that young man rises up full of life, that, that right before that happens, I imagine that everybody who was there, his followers, the, the, the mourners who were in this funeral procession with this woman, this mother, I bet you in that moment, everybody thought Jesus was crazy. Get up, what do you mean get up? This boy's dead, but this boy, this young man, he sits up, opens his eyes, and the Bible says he begins to speak. We don't have a clue what he said. It doesn't matter. The point is, Jesus gave life. And you can imagine that in that moment, all that grieving, all that mourning, all that sorrow, it did turn into amazement. It turned into laughter. It turned into joy. It turned into fear because things like this don't happen unless 
you're God. And God in the flesh rose this dead boy from the grave. And, and, and the people begin to respond. Let me show you real quick what it says. You come down and you, you see what it says in, in verse 15. The dead man sat up, began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. What a beautiful picture that must have been. To see this boy handed back over to his mother. Fear came over everyone. They glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us. Now, obviously they, they don't know exactly who Jesus is. They're still trying to figure it out, but they know there's something significant about him. So they say he's a great prophet. Maybe they're thinking back to the Old Testament because back in 1 Kings chapter 17, there was another prophet named Elijah. And Elijah did something similar to this. Elijah raised a boy, uh, a widow's son from, from death. And so they're making a connection This man, Jesus, he's got power like Elijah. But look what else it says. And this is such a great line. They get this right. A great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. And that, my friend, is the Easter story. The God of all creation has come to his people as a suffering servant as one who did miracles, who raised the dead and then would go to a cross and die his own death for us and then rise from the dead three days later. It's a beautiful story that, that, that gives us a picture of gospel truth. I don't know if you've heard the name before or Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a, a great pastor back in the 19th century. He preached over to England. Thousands of people would show up every Sunday to hear him preach. He was very influential in his day. And I, I love what Charles Spurgeon said about miracles. When Charles Spurgeon thought about the miracles of Jesus, this is what he said. He said, miracles are sermons for the eyes. Isn't that good? Because in this miracle on that day in Nain, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus was preaching a sermon to these people when he rose this boy from the dead. He was telling these people the same thing he's telling you and me. There's life, there's life, there's life in me. And so I I believe there's a sermon here for us this morning because I, I don't know if you know this or not, but for us in this room, we share some things in common with this young man who died 2,000 years ago that Jesus raised back from the dead. We share some things in common. Now you might be physically alive this morning, but what we do share in common, right, is that every one of us in this room, at some point in our lives, we were what church? We were spiritually dead. That's who you were. In fact, just, just these reminders, I wanna help you think about this. You are dead without Christ. Without Christ, that's who you are. I mean, you think about what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. In Ephesians chapter two, verse one, what does Paul say? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's who you were. Apart from Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul goes on to say something like this. You followed the course of this world. You followed after the enemy, but you didn't follow Jesus. You had no desire to follow Jesus. Before you came to faith in Christ, what was your desire? Your desire was to reject God. Before you came to faith in Christ, your desire was to rebel against God. Before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, your desire was to what? To live your own way apart from God. And what Paul says in Romans 6, verse 23, and you probably know this, Paul says that the wages, what you earn for your sin, because what sin is, sin is rebellion against God. Sin is saying, I'm going to call the shots of my, for my own life. I'm not gonna listen to God. I'm not gonna do his will. I'm gonna do my will. And Paul says the wages for that kind of living, what you earn for that kind of living is what church? Death. 
The wages of sin is death. And so I just want to remind you that, that your sin, which you chose, which I chose, our sin did not do what it promised it would do. You follow? Because here's what your sin told you. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you had a conversation with your sin or not, but I'm telling you, this is what told you. Your sin told you, you'll find life in me. You follow? Your sin told you, if you do life your way apart from God, you'll find real life. That's what the enemy told Adam and Eve in the garden. And that's what the enemy still tells you today. If you live life your own way, pursue your dreams, your goals apart from God, if you reject God and pursue your own way of living, you will find life. And you didn't. Come on now. You know what you found instead. And some of you this morning who have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus yet, you're living with this reality. You haven't found life. Instead, what have you found? You found guilt. You found regret. You found shame. You found brokenness. You found hurt. You see what I'm saying? That sin did not do in your life what it promised to do. Instead, what sin did is it left you dead. And, and, and here's reality. For many of us, we go on with our lives and we're not disgusted by that reality. This world that we live in, the vast majority of people walk in sin every day and are not disgusted by the reality that their sin is literally killing them. I posted a picture on Facebook this week. Some of you saw it because, because you, you know, I talked a couple weeks ago about the ranch ice cream, right? And so somebody brought me the ranch ice cream. I know, come on, just bear with me for a moment. So somebody brought it to me, I took it home and, and, and I took a picture with it and I posted it on Facebook. And I was amazed by your comments because some of you said some really wild things after I posted that picture on Facebook. And, and so I, I just thought this morning it'd be fun to share some of those things. Um, I'm gonna try to, 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 to not call you out too bad. Uh, but after I posted that picture on Facebook, uh, I, had some, I had some comments. First comment made sense. He said, I don't want any, but I expect to hear about what it tastes on Sunday. About, well, I'm gonna tell you what it tasted like. Have you ever had ranch dressing before? It tasted like ranch dressing. A little cold, but creamy. It tasted just like ranch dressing. That's what it tasted. I had a weird aftertaste, but that's what it tasted like. I had this comment. When our Lord was handing out taste buds, Tommy must have been standing in the, I'm going to get me some blonde hair line. <laughs> well... I'm not going to argue with you. I have gorgeous blonde hair. I guess that's the line I was in. Had this comment, right? Uh, someone just said, get some help. Well, yeah, well, I, maybe I need some help. And someone said this, wait, you barely want to try a cauliflower sandwich, but you'll eat ranch ice cream. Well, yes, and I'll tell you why. Cauliflower tastes bad. Ranch ice cream tastes good. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Go to the next one, go to the next one. I praise God that you spiritually feed us and others physically feed us. I mean, I think my family would tell you I'm not a bad cook at all, but whatever. And then I had this one. This one was just to the point, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> there were, I don't remember, there were about, about 75 or 80 comments on that picture that you guys made. And as I went through those comments, I laughed and, and none of you really encouraged me. <laughs> You were all disgusted by the fact that I actually tried the ranch ice cream. I get it. But, but that's kind of the reality, right? 
It's easy for you to point out things in life that you're disgusted at. But it's very difficult for you to look at the own mess you're making out of your life and be disgusted by the sinful choices that you're making day after day that lead to spiritual death. You see, your sin is not going to do what it promised to do. It's not going to give you life. And so what we should do when we think about our own sin is be disgusted by it. But, but that's not what happens. Why? Because we're dead in our sin. We just embrace it for what's normal. And now watch this. Dead people can't make themselves alive. You know that, don't you? Now think back to this story. In the first part of Luke chapter seven, the centurion sins for Jesus. In this story, did you notice that no one sins for Jesus? He just goes to the place of death. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus in your room, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's what happened in your life. Jesus came to you. I don't know when it was for you. I don't know the day, I don't know the time, but you do. You remember. You remember that moment when someone shared the good news of Jesus Christ with you, when someone told you that you were a sinner and that you were on your way to an eternity apart from Christ and someone told you, right, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift, the gift of God is eternal life. And someone shared with you how Jesus died in your place, that he suffered the punishment that you deserve. And someone shared with you how Jesus rose from the dead three days later to give you the gift of abundant and eternal life. And, and something happened in your heart that day that in that moment when someone shared the gospel with you and maybe you had heard it a million times before, I have no idea, but on that particular day, your eyes were open and it's not because you opened your eyes and because God opened your eyes and God helped you to see in that moment the reality of your spiritual death and God, what did he do? He made you alive. You see, Ephesians 2, 1 says what? You are dead in your trespasses and sins. But Ephesians 2, 4 says what? But God, who is rich in mercy and who is rich in grace, he made you alive in Christ. It wasn't your own doing. It wasn't because you woke up one day and said, you know what? I think it'd be a good idea to follow Jesus. Or maybe I'll go to church a few times or maybe I'll do a few good works. That's not how it happened. You were dead, so dead, in fact, that you were on your way to an eternal hell. But the God of all creation, he made you alive. You see, when you think about the resurrection, it really is true that Jesus's resurrection is your resurrection. You're alive in Christ. We saw it this morning in the baptism pool. When people come through these waters, they are saying to us that God has made me alive. And in Christ, that's who you are. The old man is being put to death and all things, 2 Corinthians 5, are becoming new in Christ. You see, that's what God is doing in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is daily resurrecting you. And now think about this, think about this. Resurrected life is your present and future reality. Let me explain what I mean by that. So if you read Ephesians 2, 6, here's what Paul says. Paul says that in Christ, you've been made alive. And now, now, now you, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is your present tense condition, my friend. I know what you're saying. I'm not there now, I'm on this earth. Yes, you are. But reserved for you in the presence of God is eternity with him. And no one can take that away from you if you're a child of God. That is your present 
tense reality. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And for all of eternity, the God of all creation is going to continue to show you grace. There's going to come a day if Christ tarries, that your body is going to go to a grave. Not making this up. This is not fanciful myth. This is not a fable. This is the reality of what scripture teaches. And I know you've been around a church probably enough to hear a pastor like me talk about this, but just let this reality for just a moment sink deep into your heart and mind. Your body's going to a grave. But Jesus is going to interrupt a funeral because there's going to come a day, one day, maybe in the near future, that a trump is going to sound. And the skies are going to open up and the son of man, Jesus Christ, the one who died in our place, rose from the dead, ascended to the father. He is going to return. Think about this, my friend, your dead body. Your dead body is going to come alive and your body is going to be reunited with your soul and you are going to live with Christ forever in a physical existence. The Bible describes it in Revelation 21 as the new heavens and new earth. Think about it. What we lost in Eden when Adam and Eve fell to sin, all of that is going to be restored. In Eden, before Adam and Eve fell into sin, it was life with God, unhindered by sin, beautiful fellowship with the Father. That is what you are going to experience for all of eternity. You're not gonna float around on a cloud somewhere. You're not gonna be some of this like spirit meandering around. No, you're gonna have a physical presence with the physical Son of God in eternity for all Eternity, you will be with him because Jesus Christ, his resurrection is your resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 says this, that, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the dead. Firstborn means there's more to come. That's you. He's gonna raise up your dead body someday and you will be with him forever. And it's not because of anything you've done. It's because Jesus, much like he came to the woman at Nain, he has come to you. He's made you alive. He's resurrected you. You see, without Christ, you're dead. Without Christ, you have no hope. Without Christ, you are on your way to an eternity apart from him. But in Christ, there's life. You are made alive only by Christ. And finally, you are made alive for Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 the end of, of that, that paragraph where Paul is talking about how Christ has made us alive. In verse 10, he says what? And you are saved for good works. In other words, you are saved by God, not so that you might continue to live out your will, but you might live out his will. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes and he says what church? You have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, you no longer live, but Christ lives within you. You see, here's the kind of what happens in the American church. Here's how we kind of think about Christianity. Christianity is I just say a prayer and ask Jesus into my heart and I, and, I, and I get out of hell. And that's good. Who doesn't want that? But biblical Christianity is far more than that. Biblical Christianity is what, church? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for me through his death and resurrection, I want more. I want more than just show up on Sunday morning every couple of weeks and sing a couple of hymns and, and halfway falling asleep while a preacher preaches. I want more than that. No, what I want is to follow Jesus. 
I want his way of life to be my way of life. I want his will, not my will. I, I don't want to live for me anymore. You see, in the, the American church, kind of the way we, we treat Christianity is Jesus is kind of an accessory to our life. We like him. Uh, we thank God that he saved us from our sins and gave us eternity. All that's good. But what we have a hard time doing is allowing Jesus to call the shots of our lives. But let me just tell you, my friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus calls the shots. Why does Jesus call the shots? Because he is Lord. You're not Lord. You will never be Lord. The Lord created you. You are made by him for his purpose. And so therefore he calls the shots. When I talk to children about um, the gospel, I'll usually explain it like this. I'll say, you know, um, if you have a boss, what do you do for your boss? And, you know, a kid very intuitively will typically say, well, if you have a boss, you do what your boss says. Yes. Jesus is your boss. He's your Lord. He's your master. To follow Jesus isn't just to show up from time to time at a church. To follow Jesus isn't just to help people every now and then. To follow Jesus is to lay down your life at the foot of the cross and say, not my will, but your will be done in my life. You are the boss. You call the shots. And that's hard. Because we all wrestle with this sinful nature that, that wants to call the shots of our own lives. And so what I need and what you need is I need daily realignment to daily come back to my Savior and say, Jesus, today, call the shots. Jesus, today, I surrender my will to your will. Jesus, today, I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. You see, I've been saved by Jesus and I've been saved for Jesus. This, my friend, Luke chapter seven, verses 11 through 17. It is a sermon for the eyes. It is a powerful reminder that Jesus has come to resurrect, to give life in the face of death. And he did that by going to a cross and dying the death that every one of us deserve. He was punished for your sins then rose again from the dead three days later to prove that he is the God who has come to save us and give us life abundant and eternal. And here we are on this Easter Sunday morning. Now look around this room and I am so glad that you are here. And a lot of you in this room I know and I know well. Some of you I don't. Some of you this morning I'm seeing for the very first time. And I am so glad that you're here and I hope you'll come back again. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. That there are people in this room this morning who have never given their lives to Jesus. You may have heard a preacher like me before talk about this gospel truth. You may have slept through some sermons before. I get that. Some of us are boring. I understand that. But can you just listen up for just a moment? Today can be your day of resurrection. Some of you have been wrestling with this for a while. Some of you have been hearing a friend tell you about the good news of Jesus for weeks or months. Some of you have been coming to this church for a while and, and you know you're not a follower of Jesus. You know you're not saved. You know you haven't experienced this life that, 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 that the Bible tells us about in places like Ephesians 2 and, and John chapter 7. You know that you're lost. And you've been wrestling with that. You, you know the guilt and shame of your own sin, but you've been slow. You've been slow to give your life to the Savior. Today, why not? Why not let today be the day that once and for all, you say to Jesus, you are my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Today, I want to experience life abundant and eternal in you. I turn from my sins and I turn to you by faith. This morning, some of us in this room need to make that decision because the reality is 
there's coming a funeral. There's coming a funeral. And for those of us who over the course of our lives, no matter how many times we've heard the gospel and no matter how many times we've been to a church, there's coming a day for those of us who've rejected the message of salvation that we will face an eternity apart from Christ. But for those of us who've placed our faith and trust in him, he will give us life every day, good life, life with him. And on that day when you die, you will be ushered into his presence for all of eternity, not because of anything you've done, but solely because of your faith in his death and resurrection. And so this morning, what's stopping you? Come on, seriously. Teenager, what's stopping you? College student, what's stopping you? Mother, father, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from embracing this glorious truth of the gospel that in Christ there is life? We're gonna have a time of invitation. And as we have a time of invitation, I'm gonna call you to respond. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to that person in this room who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus. Today is your day. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. And I just wanna encourage you as we have a time of invitation to get up and go to one of those crosses. There'll be someone there today who wants to help you begin a relationship with Jesus. I'll be down front. You can come talk. To leave this place without experiencing the gift of salvation, life, and turn from your sins and turn to Him in faith, believing they died and rose again for you. Today, let today be your day of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you for the beauty of the gospel that in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is life. And here's what I know. I know this. I know it. There's a man in this room. There's a woman in this room. There's a teenager in this room who's heard this message over and over and over again. And honestly, over and over again, it's fallen kind of on deaf ears. But here's what I know, that this morning, in this moment, your spirit is at work and your spirit is helping someone right now to understand this message for the very first time. And here's why I know that today for the very first time, someone in this room needs to place their faith and trust in Jesus. Right now in this moment, you are making alive someone in this room. So Father, for that person, I pray that they would have the willingness to respond in faith, to trust you, to see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ to turn from their sins and turn to you, believing in your death and resurrection and determining to live the rest of their days for your glory. So Father, please, would you please, would you please do a work of salvation in the lives of people in this room? And may this resurrection Sunday be the resurrection for people in this room who are going from death to life through faith in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you're good to us, that you love us, you came and lived a perfect life for us and died in our place and rose again. You are worthy of all, all of our honor and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. You rise to your feet as a time of invitation together. And I was talking to you this morning. And if I was talking to you and you know that's you, you're the one that needs to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Begin right now, move, go to one of those crosses, come down front. Let today be your day of salvation. You come now as we sing.